Here's what I'm going to do. Um, Dave and Jenny did an incredible job with the book of Ruth. We're going to transition now. And, uh, and I was going to, I had in my ridiculous notes, like when I look at, at the notes that I had made for the, the 2020 ministry season, uh, you know, our best laid plans from uh, the turn of the year, uh, this was going to be uh, Samuel. We were going to look at the life of Samuel, one of the prophets from the Old Testament. But I, I, I just feel like I want to do something else. Uh, and it, it, it has to do with, uh, with the season that we're going through. Um, how many of you have heard the phrase, in these uncertain times over the past three months? Every commercial, it can be a commercial for Sherwin-Williams. In these uncertain times... Um, Everyone is a little unnerved, obviously, for obvious reasons, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm realizing that um, while this is, a, this is a pretty decent crowd compared to what we've seen, I know that it's just going to be a lot longer than what I would have thought uh, for us to see the momentum that we had on Sunday mornings in-house. Who knows what's going to happen in, in the fall if there's a, you know, a second wave and, and um, uh, with, with schools and, and online schools or in the elections. And this is just going to be a tense, uncertain season. And, and the Bible tells us what to do when we go through those kinds of seasons. And I know in my own life, when we approach, when I approach seasons of uncertainty, one of the things that I'm quick to do is just label it. Man, this is going to be, this is going to be a really bad season, or this is going to be a frustrating season, or this is going to be a season of uncertainty. So let me start off here. We're going we're gonna to actually be studying. I'm just going to do some Bible studies on, on Sunday morning on the book of John, one of the Gospels. But I want to start off in Hebrews. Uh, there was a little letter written in the New Testament. We have no idea who the author of Hebrews was. And uh, in, incidentally, I would love for you in the coming months to, to bring a Bible if you have one. We can't have them out like we usually do because of the COVID. But um, if you don't have a, a Bible that you can easily read, you can feel free to, to go to uh, BibleGateway.com or download, download the Bible app. Um, just, just search Bible in your, um, in your app store. Or, um, or I'll be happy for us to give you one. We have them all over the place. We have hundreds of Bibles here, but just ask me and I'll go get you one. And then you just bring that with you when you come. So um, Hebrews 12 says this. Let us also lay aside every weight. And again, Hebrews is talking to, and this is one of the things that, side note, when we talk about our uncertain times, when you're talking about the people who first would have received uh, the, these letters from uh, other Christians, if we were to go back in time and explain to them our uncertain times and say, well, there's this virus and it could kill up to 1% of the earth's population and, and we may have to go to school online and, and don't even get me going on our sports. Like they would look at our uncertain times and be like, okay, I hope you guys can get through that. Like, it's nothing compared to what these people were going... Not to minimize what we're going through, but these people were going through horrible seasons of life, many of whom lived their whole lives in that state of, of profound 
uh, uncertainty and, and terror. Okay, so here's um, <clears throat> what Hebrew says. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Like, you know, this is a race. This is something difficult. This is a challenge, this life that we live. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising or not not even taking into regard the shame. He set aside the shame. He wasn't stopped by the shame of it all. The pain, the shame, it didn't stop him. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what the author of Hebrews tells us is when you're going through difficult times, you keep your eyes on Jesus as your example. And you remember that you're a part of a movement that is founded on someone who faced the cross and endured the cross in order to fulfill God's plan for his life. Like, that's our model. So as we face these uncertain times that we hear about on the commercials and that we read about on Facebook and everywhere else, because these are uncertain times, our focus needs to be squarely on Jesus, and we need to remember that this is a big part of the movement Facing adversity, facing difficulty, and all the more important that we look to our example and live according to his path as we uh, face these times so that we have a center, we have an anchor. And that's one of the things that I'm seeing more and more is that in good times, you can't necessarily look at any given life and see a difference uh, in terms of the value of following Jesus. But when the heat is on, uh, in the midst of any kind of difficult season, that's where you see who has the anchor and who doesn't. And what I can tell you, like if you're new to this Jesus stuff, um, that's the difference, is when you look to Jesus and when you anchor your life according to his life, uh, you will find inner peace and a strength to live from that for me, that, that's the only place it's found. So I want to encourage you in, over this next season, um, always, but especially over this next season, to spend extra time centering your life around Jesus. And so that's why, um, that's why we're going to do the Gospel of John uh, and just look at... Because John presents glimpses of Jesus. And, uh, and we're going to look at some of those glimpses over this next season and, and um, get anchored in that, okay? So um, let, me, um, let me now move to Revelation. We'll get to, to the actual Gospel of John eventually, but I want to set this up with, with one more, one more um, piece here. Uh, John wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the book of Revelation, and he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So he has five different works in the New Testament. <clears throat> and um, Revelation... Uh, obviously very famous work. It's Revelation, not Revelations, as most people call it. It's not plural. Um, Revelation always gets talked about in seasons of uncertainty. When things get a little bit rocky, everyone starts to look to the book of Revelation and ask, is this the end? Are we really here? Okay, I'm going to just point to one, and this is, again, just kind of kicking off the Gospel of John here. I want to read this to you. This is from Revelation 3. 
I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, uh, sometimes that's translated vomit. Jesus is like, you make me sick. Okay, I will vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve like a medicine to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent." Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So so Jesus, here's why I, I read that to start this whole thing. Uh, Jesus envisions uh, uh, sharing a meal with us, like that kind of, of friendship uh, where, we, where we eat together, like a, a friend to friend, that level of, of depth. He envisions that for everybody, and he says, I stand at the door and I knock. If you'll come and open the door, all you have to do is open the door. If you'll open the door to me, then I will come in and eat with you. But, but I want you to see that he basically is looking at a group of, of, of Christians, um, and he says, you know, you, you, you make me sick, which Jesus doesn't often use that language. You make me sick. You're not, you're not living out your faith, really. You're not really doing anything with my teachings. And, and that represents kind of, you know, maybe some of you are here like, yeah, I, I'm, I've been pretty far uh, from where I need to be lately. But then... Uh, Jesus simply says, open the door. Just open the door, and I will come in and eat with you. So what I want to, the reason that's important is as we look through this, this John stuff and, and look to Jesus, at any moment during these teachings uh, from John, uh, you may say, man, that, that hurts. I'm not, I'm not there. I, don't, I, I haven't been living like that. I haven't known Jesus. I've been over here doing my own thing. But, but remember what John says at the end of the day. Uh, even in the midst of a rebuke from Jesus, Jesus says, just, just open the door. Just open the door. So don't get fixated on who you are not as we look to Jesus or how much you don't know. Because that's the other thing when you read, start to read the Bible. You can be, man, I don't know any of this stuff. I'm miles away from where I want to be. Uh, Jesus says, just open the door. Just open the door and, and let's, let's share a meal together. Okay, so having said all that, I'm going to do uh, chapter 1 of John, and we're just going to look at John's first glimpse of Jesus. So there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptics. That means like a, they're a brief summary. They're a quick brief summary of Jesus' life. And, then, and they closely parallel. Some of them have the same wording verbatim. And then there's John, and John does his own thing. 
Uh, John is, is, is more flowery. He's more artsy. He's more mystical in, his, in the way he presents Jesus. And I'm going to be honest with you, that I hope you'll read John along with me like throughout the, the series, that you'll continue to read John at home during the week. And there's plenty that John says, and I'm like, that if I could go back, I'd be like, dude, why are you going to write like that? Because I've been at this 30 years, and I have no idea what the heck you mean when, when you say that. So John has some cosmic, flowery language for Jesus that can be hard to understand, but he also paints some glimpses of Jesus that are profound, like the one we're going to see today, okay? Also remember that John was Jesus' best friend. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, which I find, yeah, like, who says that? Right? I, I, by the way, I'm the one he liked. I'm the one he liked most. So you do get a perspective of, of someone who was extra close to Jesus. And, and even the synoptics uh, that John didn't write would say that when Jesus would pull a, gr- a small group of people aside and give them something a little deeper, John was always in that group. So uh, Jesus did show special favor to John. Okay, so here we go. Um, Here's how John starts his gospel off. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So that in and of itself is the first glimpse of Jesus that we see from John. Um, He starts off with in the beginning, and what he's doing there is he's going back to the book of Genesis. He's he's triggering in the mind of his his first readers uh, the creation story. And, and what, what I love about that is that uh, the synoptics will, will talk about the begats, such and such begat, such and such. It's the genealogy of Jesus, emphasizing his, like, earthly bloodline. Uh, but John says, I got that beat. We're going back further. We're going back to creation itself. And then he does this incredible thing. And, and for me, um, when I got a glimpse at this as a teenager, um, I was a goner, okay? He says, in the beginning was the Word. So what he's going to do is he's personifying Jesus. He calls him the Word. He says, the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Then later on, and I'll get to this in a, in a, in a minute, he says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So he's very clear that he's got this name for Jesus, the Word. And the Greek word is logos or logos, L-O-G-O-S. Now, this is very significant because um, in the ancient world, uh, like we live in a world where we can get knowledge anywhere. Some of it's good, some of it's fake news, but we can quickly find anything we want uh, by searching Google. Uh, But the ancients who didn't have 
access to any fact that they wanted. They obsessed over wisdom and they obsessed over divine wisdom. In fact, the Jews uh, have this scripture, uh, it's Proverbs 3.19, that says, with wisdom you laid the foundations of the world. So they actually took that a long way. They, they personified wisdom and felt like somehow wisdom was a creative force. Now, as this idea of wisdom developed, uh, and, and especially as it got into Greek culture, uh, the Greeks uh, called wisdom uh, logos, or logos. Uh, it was the idea of, of the source, or the authority, or the right thinking, or divine wisdom, you could call it. And so, what, what John is really doing here is he's saying, in the beginning was divine wisdom. And divine wisdom was with God. And divine wisdom was God. Divine wisdom was with God in the beginning. And then he goes on to say, and divine wisdom became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen it. We have touched it. When I got a glimpse of that, I was a goner. For me, that concept of when we look at Jesus, when we listen to his teachings, when we watch his examples, we are gaining access to divine wisdom, to that which laid the foundations of the world, that which the world is built on. And, and when we face any difficult time in life, any kind of uncertainty, what more could we possibly want to bring into our life, to our being, than divine wisdom? Wisdom straight from God. And it's not what, but it's who. And so Jesus, for John, becomes the source of divine wisdom, divine wisdom itself. And, and so for me, that's why since that thought entered, I, I've just, I have so thoroughly enjoyed and benefited from the life and teachings of Jesus. And I knew from a very early age, this is what I want to do. I want to live in divine wisdom and help other people see divine wisdom and see the life of Jesus as divine wisdom. And since then, I, I just you just see it. Once you're in on the secret, you see it. People who embrace divine wisdom from Jesus and live that out, there's just something they have that everybody else doesn't have. And it's not that we're better than anybody else. It's not that we're... It's all Jesus and the fact that some people choose to embrace that divine wisdom, and it changes everything. And, and, so, and so what do we hear? We hear Jesus saying, hey, maybe you're here. I see you. I see where you're at. I stand at the door and I knock. Open the door. Open the door and we'll come in and we'll eat together. So Jesus says, I am divine wisdom. Just open the door. Just open the door. And then uh, we'll, we'll conclude this morning with... with uh, how John uh, sets it up, he says, He came to that which was his own, but his own people did not receive him. But to all who did, this is verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, 
who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The Word became flesh. Divine wisdom became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So you get this promise from John at the very beginning. He says, I'm going to show you glimpses of divine wisdom. And anyone who opens the door, anyone who receives him, you get the right to become children of God, children born of more than just flesh and blood, children of God himself. What an incredible promise. And, I'm, I, and I believe that as we look through these, these um, images of Jesus, these glimpses of Jesus, the more we embrace that, the more anchor, the more center, um, but then also the promise from God that, that we become his children of God and that, that imagery uh, that Jesus paints of um, not only eating together with him but also sitting on the throne, that's eternal imagery. That's like Jesus saying, we eat together now and that relationship continues on for all eternity and what could be more centering than that so here's how I want to close um, I want to take communion together <clears throat> if you uh, if you missed it feel free to just get up now and out in the lobby just right through those doors you'll see on the marble countertop cups with these little cups inside so feel free if you need to go get that you can um, don't worry about it just just go uh, go grab that and I'll, I'll hang out for a couple minutes while I explain this. Um, so there are two parts to communion. I'll just over-explain this so that we don't leave anybody in the dust. There's the bread, and there's the juice. And the bread is inconveniently located uh, underneath this, this. There's a cellophane tab, which is carefully peeled off. And then the foil is the juice, which will probably end up on you in some capacity. Uh, and, and so uh, Jesus, and we'll see this much later, uh, as Jesus finished his time with his disciples before the cross, he, he shared a meal with them. And he said, I want you to take some bread. And this bread uh, is my body, which I'm giving for you on the cross. And when you take it, remember the body that I'm offering for you. And then he took a cup and, um, and he said, when you drink this, remember my blood that's being shed for you. And he said, and that blood is a new covenant for the forgiveness of your sins. And so this meal that Jesus calls us to in a very real way to eat with him like he promised, it's a meal celebrating the grace and love that he poured out for us. And so every week, uh, we just sit around that table together and, and, and sort of uh, re-anchor ourselves in the basics of the movement, uh, the grace, the love, the forgiveness that was poured out from Jesus to us. So let's do that now. Uh, Marcus is going to play. And just when, when you're ready, you take the elements and then we'll pray.
Father, thank you for the promises that you gave to us, uh, the imagery of, of children of God. Thank you for the divine wisdom that walked among us and for access to that divine wisdom. And I pray that in the coming weeks as we uh, search your word for these images of your son, that you would anchor us in certainty of who you are, of what you're doing in the world around us, and most importantly, of who we are, so that we can be that anchor and that light for those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.